Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a little recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka Beauty Island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is visual artist Rosie Kalina. A proud Wemba Wemba and Gunajamara woman, Rosie is a talented makeup artist, artist, model and entrepreneur, to name just a few strings on her bow. If you are one of her almost 50,000 followers on Instagram, you might recognise her incredibly colourful or glossy eye makeup looks, but that's just a small window into the incredible ideas, conversations and creations Rosie is responsible for. She's appeared in Vogue not once, but twice this year, worked on a variety of sets and shoots, and is the co-founder of Makeup for Mob, a makeup artist collective for and supporting First Nations artists. We talked about the cult powder for glowing skin, and she gives a step-by-step guide on how to achieve a beautiful base, the representation of First Nations people in the beauty industry and beyond, creativity as a tool to explore self-expression, identity, and start bigger conversations, and success, social media, and getting caught up in the likes. I am not strictly supposed to have favourite episodes, but this truly has to be up there for me. Rosie is incredibly talented, eloquent, and has such warmth, and she was so generous in her discussions about really important and timely topics and conversations about the beauty industry and representation, her own experiences in the industry, and the trappings of social media as well as sharing so many practical tips and product recommendations that will have you running to your makeup bag once this episode is over. You can find Rosie on Instagram at Rosie Kalina, as well as a few other places. And of course, the link to all of these is in the show notes. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify if you haven't already. You can recommend to a friend or many friends or even strangers send them this episode if you think they would enjoy it or share a screenshot on your instagram story just don't forget to tag at beauty island podcast so i can see it as an independent podcaster those things really help more people to discover the podcast which means i can keep on making it for you i also have a regular beauty newsletter called it's a beauty the link to sign up to that is in the show notes now over to rosie enjoy Rosie, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited after following you for a few years to be sitting down and talking all things beauty with you. So welcome. Thank you so much. If we start at the beginning, if you cast your mind back, what is your first kind of memory of beauty? Were the women in your family also interested in beauty or what what is that first memory for you? Definitely. So my mum and my grandmother are beauty queens in their own right always had on perfume, always had on lipstick and were just always very glamorous and always loved to dress up. So I really did grow up around that and just always looking up to them like, wow, I want to do that when I grow up. (laughs) I love that. And if you think back to either kind of watching your grandma or your mum, was there a particular product that you grew up seeing them use or what was kind of the earliest product that you can remember? The earliest products that I remember vividly was Max Russian Red, my mom using it. She'd go through them so quickly. They'd come to a little nub. And I don't think I've ever finished a lipstick and I don't think I've ever seen anyone else finish a lipstick quite the way my mom does. <laughs> she always rocks a red lip. Even on her wedding day that I was at, I was 13 when she got married to my stepfather and uh, she had on a red lip. You know, she just, it's her iconic look. I think I was about five years old. I remember being on the train with her, popping on her lipstick onto my lips. <laughs> and and uh, a woman right across, sitting across, said, how is she doing that so well? Because I wasn't doing it in front of a mirror. I just picked it right up 
and just popped it on. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely the first I remember. I love that. Now you, I believe you were born on Yorta Yorta country and moved to Bunurong and Wurundjeri country yes. when you were young. Yes. So talk to me a bit about young and early teenage Rosie. What were some of your passions? What were you like? Love the river. Still love the river. I'm a river girl at heart. And so, yeah, being on, on Yorta Yorta country, really close to Dungala, the Dungala, beautiful country there with the gum trees. I was just obsessed with being amongst cousins and and the smell of gum trees and being by the river and around aunties and um, listening to stories. I was very inquisitive. So I loved ghost stories. That was my thing <laughs> for sure. Now, while it sounds like I might have been a bush kid, I definitely wasn't. Um, as much as I love the river, I would wear, you know, polka dot bikinis and bathers there, you know, as a kid. Or I, I would beg my mum to let me wear, um, you know, those little fluffy plastic high heels you get from yeah. like the $2 shop or anywhere. I, I would be rocking those and I would carry around my little baby born and while wearing a tiara at the river, you know. So I was always very, very girly into pink and, and dolls and beauty and I'd beg my mum to wear makeup all the time (laughs) so and when I came to Melbourne I um would always beg my mum to go back to the country because I always craved that half city girl half country girl either way doing it in style I love it (laughs) yes yes thank you Firstly, obviously, we know how important representation is as we're growing up, who we're looking to. It sounds like you are surrounded by some incredible role models. But in terms of outside of your immediate family and the people that you know in your community, in terms of mainstream, mm. when can you remember when it kind of became apparent to you, uh, at least in the beauty space, although obviously it's something that is across all industries, that you weren't seeing representations of First Nations faces and, and seeing yourself? Yeah, I feel. It is such a recent thing to even see representation. And even now it's so, so small. I think the first time I ever saw anyone that reflected a similar story to me or um, just any kind of reflection was in Redfern Now. So Shari Sebbins, uh, she's a deadly actor, and she played a character of a granddaughter going to visit her grandmother in Redfern and you know she's she's got green eyes and fair skin like me so I thought oh wow like this was kind of that was the kind of first time that I'd seen someone like that who was Aboriginal proudly Aboriginal but you know had similar kind of features to me I guess and uh I just love the story of her and her grandmother because I grew up very 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 close to my nan and I'm still very close to her and see her as one of my biggest role models and so that was the first time I was like, oh, wow, you know, visually and story and everything was, you know, really similar. So I was like, wow, I just felt so seen in that moment. And only in, in, in terms of beauty, when I first started, I was like, where are all the Koori girls? Where are all the Aboriginal girls or, 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 you know, people, non-binary people too, or men or anyone? I thought, wow, like, it just felt really isolating and it was only until I really got into Instagram that I was like, whoa, there's a community out here. Like we're actually out here. So it's very slowly building up, um, I'd say, for me to be able to see other others like me and um, or not like me but just, you know, still First Nations and, and out here doing their thing. The second product on your list I would love to hear from you. Is there one that's kind of the first product that you remember buying for yourself or kind of your your first makeup foray purchasing yourself? Yes, uh, that would be the Astralis liquid liner. Uh, love from, it. Tell me about it. <laughs> from Priceline. And it's in a little pot. It's one of those uh, kind of bendy felt tips. You dip it in and it's super liquidy and was actually really hard to use. But um, I'd always been a pretty good painter I'd always been a confident painter so you know watercolor or acrylic anything like that so I kind of applied that to how I would do my makeup and I was just always obsessed with winged liner I used to see it in movies and in fashion and 
So I wanted to emulate that. And yeah, I believe I was 13. Mum didn't really let me wear makeup, but that was the one thing that she would let me wear. Um, Because she thought, you know, it's not foundation, it's not going to clog your pores. Whatever she would tell me, I wasn't allowed to do at that time, which now I thank her. That was my first venture into makeup. And I ended up having to do everyone's eye makeup in class. So art class or tech, the girls would line up for me to do their liner because they'd say, I want it to look like yours. So very unhygienic looking back, but, you know, as we do in high school. (laughs) Yeah. Your talents are recognised early on. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and now before we kind of leave teenage Rosie, when you were kind of looking at what was ahead as an adult, what did you think you wanted to do as a career or what were you kind of working towards? I remember in high school, I was always in the art class, always, I just knew I just wanted to do something creative and I, I still didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't know what uni I wanted to go to or what I wanted to study. I just knew I wanted to do art in some form. And I went to New York City not long after graduating high school because I decided to go on gap year. And there I just got so inspired by the city and by the people. And I went into a Mac store where um, an Australian woman was actually working. And uh, she told me how she got to New York and how she started as a makeup artist and I was blown away. So when I came home, I was really invigorated and inspired. So I went straight to makeup school and got started from there. Tell me a bit about, so you've made the decision that that's what you want to do. You enroll in uh, makeup school. Tell me a bit about those kind of learning and those very early years establishing yourself. Very early years. So being at makeup school, I decided to make an Instagram because I wanted to have a platform where I was able to just document my process and kind of make myself accountable, you know, doing looks and uploading them. I thought it's a good incentive for me to keep going. And I'll actually shout out my mum because one day, it was right before I started makeup school, I think, and I was like, I really want to do this. I want to make money off this. I want it to be my career. She goes, you should start an Instagram. You know, I've seen other people do it. You should just do models' faces um, or your friends' faces and or yours, upload it, and then people will hire you. And I said, Mum, you're crazy. No one's going to do that. Like, I'm not qualified. I'm not professional. I don't, you know, have those skills yet. And she's like, Rosie, just do it. And I really resisted. I didn't think that I could. But then, <laughs> how I am, I'm really <laughs> stubborn. I finally came around and I thought, she's right. And I actually said, Mum, I'm really sorry and thank you. And yeah, so I just started doing it. I thought, you know what, I'm not going to wait around um, for a certificate or for for me to get to that level. I'm just going to start. So I'm very thankful for that. Good on mum. But I think that's that's something so common, I think, isn't it, that we want to wait. We've got, like you said, whether it's a certification or that kind of stamp that says that we, there's that kind of external validation that we think we're equipped to do it so it's really good to have those people like the mum who push you to wait until then exactly that's right and so early days it really was other people encouraging me and seeing my talent from from the get-go because it would be like my friend's sister saying I have a date tonight I love the way you do your makeup can you please come over sure and um I would do that and then from then my teacher at makeup school saying hey, I would love for you to actually come and assist me on this job outside of out of school. And I, I thought, wow, like she obviously sees something in me and that was the external validation that I needed at that time. And then from then I just had to kind of find that confidence within myself and think, well, you know, I, could, I can do this. And so I just um, I accepted a lot of TFP work and, you know, was doing a lot of stuff for just exposure and for photos to come back and and then all the while I was doing that that was while my Instagram was growing so after that more and more work came and more photo shoots and I discovered that it was editorial that I really liked doing and it was immediately like no to bridal for me (laughs) because I knew that it was the creative looks that I liked doing and I thrived in the most. And obviously because of social media, when it comes to makeup artistry, there are kind of the two paths. There are people that go and study and there's the people who just teach themselves. Obviously all the while you were learning, you were doing all this stuff along the side as well. But are you glad that you did go and get the kind of spend the time getting a certification for learning or is does part of you ever think I I could have discovered it on my own as well. 
I definitely could have discovered it on my own. I just have to be honest, as much as I value the time that I spent there, and I never regret anything. I never say, oh, I wish I didn't do that because everything's an experience and I don't know how I would be if I hadn't done it. But just I just know in my heart that like my creative expression, it really does come from myself and, and the way that I like to do things. So I definitely, I don't want to claim that I'm self-taught, but it definitely was something that came naturally to me and that I felt I was doing more work outside of school than I was in school. But I still do value that time and I value the kind of the logical lessons that I learned from it. Yeah. And and maybe the confidence that it built me too. Tell me about the next product on your list. I have to say one of my absolute favorite products and that I think is pretty iconic is the uh, Mecca Cosmetica Enlightened Powder. And it's a highlighter. I did, I used to work at Mecca. So I just love it. It it just, it works on, because I have the trio as well, which is a limited edition one. And these really do work on every skin tone. So I do use them on clients and on myself. And you can use them as eyeshadows or you can use them on your cheeks. And it's just the most beautiful glow. And I know some people have moved away from the highlighter trend, but I just love it. I just can't go without it. It just makes me feel gorgeous and makes everyone look extra beautiful and glowy. So can't move away from this one. A great one. And I was going to say, and we'll get get to it in a bit, that there are many things that I love about the looks that you create, but that glowy skin is always a very consistent look within your creations, which I love. So I can understand why this one has made made it (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Now, anyone reading the latest edition of Vogue Australia may have been flipping through and seen your face in the latest issue (laughs) because you have recently featured in kind of a roundtable article talking about representation and diversity in the beauty industry. Obviously, there are a number of important points that were raised in that article, but but one thing that stood out to me is something that you said. You mentioned one of your first jobs out of makeup school, working on production, and about it not being a very welcoming experience. And I would love for you to tell me a bit more about what happened because I love that you demonstrating your strength and resilience, something great happened out of that which is something that you created with a friend called makeup for mobs so kind of tell me a bit about the experience and how it led to you to you both coming up with the idea of makeup for mob and what's what you're hoping to do with that so yeah that was a really defining moment for me so right after makeup school went into a full-time uh position well not not a full-time but it was because it's a it was a shoot for a tv show it was a 12-week uh shooting and it was five days a week and it was extremely long hours. So I hit it first right into that and, you know, five o'clock starts or six o'clock starts and really far away. So it really felt like work, my first job for makeup. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I was so excited working with actors, you know, well-known actors. So I thought this is incredible. But as soon as I walked onto that set, the lead makeup artist looked me up and down and said, oh, so you're interested in makeup, are you? And I just thought, what a bizarre thing to say to someone who's dedicated the next, you know, 12 straight weeks to working on this. And it just instantly set the tone for me. But I thought, you know what? It's okay. You know, maybe she was in a bad mood. Maybe she doesn't understand what's going on. Maybe, the, you know, maybe it wasn't communicated that this is an attachment program. But, you know, basically other people on set would come to me and say, hey, I'm just letting you know to watch out because the other makeup artists have been saying nasty things about you behind your back, you know, eat, eat with us, you know, don't, don't worry about them. And was super welcoming. And it was like, wow, you know, the people from the other departments uh, are being really welcoming. So I don't understand why mine isn't. And I even remember just the comments I would receive, like, oh, you don't look Aboriginal. You just look exotic. And being in that environment and then you know, Aboriginal actors would come onto the, the truck as I'm almost on the verge of tears and I would suck it up and be like, hey, you know, and introduce myself and then we'd get along but then they would kind of like tell me to turn it back because I guess they didn't want me interacting too much with the actors, which I understand on a professional level but it was like, I was like, mob, like my people, like I just want to be with you because I'm being treated like, you know, like I'm invisible outside of these moments 
And and I was thinking, I was just looking at the makeup artists, you know, applying the makeup to these Aboriginal actors. And I thought, this isn't culturally safe for you. You know, if you if you knew like how she was treating me or like, you know, the comments that she was saying, then I'm sure they wouldn't feel comfortable, you know. And I thought I felt pretty defeated and I'd go home and just feel really horrible and almost felt like giving up. But then I thought, you know, why would I want to do this and why would I want to give up because of one experience? And I thought, wow, so many actors must go, um, so many actors and makeup artists must go through this um, who are Aboriginal as well. And then I bumped into another incredible Aboriginal woman who also was a makeup artist and she told me she had almost an identical experience and it blew my mind. I thought, wow, I'm not alone. And so that's when, yeah, I decided that I don't want anyone else going through this. I don't want these culturally unsafe spaces to just keep thriving. And I did put a complaint in. I didn't really go anywhere, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so that's why I thought there should be some sort of support system for us to be able to thrive in these systems and for this just not to happen again. So um, one of my really good friends, my um, titters, uh, Katie, she is an amazing makeup artist as well and she has her own business. And I just said to her, I, you know, I told her about the whole experience and uh, we both agreed that the right thing to do would be to nurture people, especially young ones coming up and just say, hey, you know, if you need assistance in any way or advice or just literally anything, then we're here for you. And so it's been kind of a long, long process, I suppose. And I had taken a little bit of a break from makeup last year and then now COVID. So there has been a lot of setbacks, but we both still are there for makeup artists, any young makeup artists that want to get into the industry. And I look forward to the future of that and Makeup for Mob Instagram is still there uh, for anyone to follow and to um, to learn about, you know, what we're doing. When it comes to the next product on your list, is there perfume on your list? It's more of a nostalgic one. It's Britney Spears Fantasy Perfume. <laughs> I know that a lot of people would know exactly what I'm talking about and know the exact scent. I had to include, like, my auntie spraying it. Um, when it first came out and receiving it as a birthday present and just thinking, wow, like this is so highbrow. Like at the time I thought, this is it. Like this is Britney Spears perfume and <laughs> and all, all the cool girls wore it, you know, and it just really brings me back to that age of experimenting and going to Chemist Warehouse and spraying perfumes with my friends and especially anyone from the Western suburbs. High Point is an iconic shopping centre where we go and, um, you know, try on makeup in the stores and, and spray that perfume. So for me, it, it really evokes a lot of innocence and curiosity around beauty. So it really just takes me back. I think the thing with celebrity perfumes is so interesting because I think we're pretty much the same age. So for us, you know, Britney Spears, perfumes as you said iconic there's a a few to pick from Mm -hmm. but and I know that there are still some celebrities that bring them out but it just doesn't have quite the same doesn't seem to be on quite the same level it's now celebrities are doing their own beauty Mm. ranges as opposed to you know just putting their name on the perfume so it's a it's a whole you know phase of perfume obsession that people right yeah it's interesting like Mariah Carey one was amazing as well and I'm thinking that's such a good point because now we've got, you know, Fenty and ugh, I, I can't even name. There are just so, so, so many entire makeup ranges um, by people. In my opinion, Rihanna's doing it the best. But <laughs> but there are so many that are actually like whole ranges and really good quality. And I'm not saying that, you know, the Britney Spears one wasn't good quality, but it was kind of more of a fun you know, more accessible and cheaper thing to buy. So that's actually really interesting that you say that. Definitely a lot more range now. <laughs> and, and I think, <laughs> say for Paris Hilton, I think is, I, I read, did read about how many perfumes she's released, like high 20s or something. She's still going. She's still Amazing. Going. <laughs> now, as we've kind of heard from you, makeup is just kind of one 
aspect or avenue that you channel your creativity and artistic expression through. You describe yourself as a visual artist, which is encompassing of a whole range of mediums and things like that. I know you've also curated work in exhibitions, including Back to the Future in 2018. So tell me a bit more about kind of the power you feel with your creative expression to have and start conversations as well as a bit of an expression about self and identity too. Yeah, so the first exhibition that I curated and co-curated with the work that I included in it was actual images from my Instagram blown up to be really big and I put them on the wall as almost like an installation to make it look like it was an Instagram feed. So I even included, you know, the like button and everything like that and my name on there because I was trying to merge my work as an as a makeup artist and also my presence online to the way that I was expressing myself in um, the visual art space. And something that I'm constantly trying to unlearn is that they have to be so separate and they can actually coincide. And a lot of people in the arts industry, the visual arts industry, especially in those gallery spaces, they kind of look down on makeup artistry I'm not saying all but traditionally definitely because not many people include makeup as a traditional art form which is fair enough but there it is there is a reason why it's called makeup art or makeup artistry because we are painting faces just a different canvas and you know some people more painterly than others or you know more glamorous or more you know editorial but either way we're all using different mediums and different colors and shades and textures which is art and so in that I was really merging the the two worlds of art together for me and within that as well I'm always always thinking about identity and what that means to me as an Aboriginal woman and how to best represent expressions of identity and the complexity within that and I remember the first time on Instagram trying to convey my identity as um, an Aboriginal woman was by doing a eyeshadow look using the colors red yellow and black and in in that way as well I was really trying to educate a lot of my international followers on who we are I was saying hey we exist you know because all of the international well, all of the Instagram influencers with the biggest followers from Australia were predominantly white. And I thought, wow, you know, American people, you know, they, they see this representation of Australia on, on here on social media, but they would probably have no idea that we exist or that there are so, so, so many different cultures and ethnicities and races here in Australia and so-called Australia. And I thought, I really have to express myself and very visually to say, hey, we're here and this is what we're going through and this is a celebration of our culture but also know of our struggles. So it can be difficult sometimes but um, it's something I'm always attempting to do. As you mentioned, obviously, with your Instagram account, you have almost 50,000 followers on your beauty account. And as I said, I love, you know, not just the glowy skin you create, but just your creativity and your boldness with color in the looks that you create. Obviously, you mentioned, shout out to your mum, why you started the Instagram <laughs> yeah. account. But tell me a bit more about how it's felt seeing it obviously grow and also like the response that you get from your followers and pe- what people uh, say about your work and how much, I-, I guess, joy that they get from seeing your work. When it started growing, when I got up to about 3,000, I thought, wow, this is so wild. I didn't expect this. And then it kept growing, kept growing. And I think it was at 10,000 when I thought, wow, like this is like serious. You know, I'm like people actually really like my work and all my hard work is really paying off. And then I started, um, you know, getting PR and I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is like, my dreams and manifestations coming to life because I'd I'd watched YouTube videos since I was like 12 years old. Michelle Fan was my first YouTube beauty YouTuber that I'd ever seen and I just always looked up to people like her and Desi Perkins and Jackie Einar and just thought, wow, like I want to do that. I want to be that. And so when that first started happening, I thought, wow, this is real. Like it can happen to me. 
And it, it didn't always seem possible because not that I ever doubted myself, but because I hadn't really seen anybody from Australia have that before at that point. Um, and definitely not a first nations woman from Australia. So it came as a real, not shock, but beautiful surprise for me when I first got one of those emails and it kept growing, kept growing. I just kept putting more and more effort into it, doing collaborations and interactions and, um, you know, makeup challenges. And it was, I think, I can't remember the exact follow number that it was, but there, there was, it was my first hate comment that I got. And it was actually a defining moment because I thought, oh, I got a hate comment. That means I've made it. Wow. Because, at the, because I know how people work on the internet. It's kind of like, once you see that you have an amount of likes or comments, they don't even see you as a human anymore, which is bizarre. But I thought, wow, that's the level that I've gotten to now. I, I saw it as a compliment. It was almost like, you know what? If you're a hater, then you're jealous and there's something to be jealous about. So good on you. Keep it coming, whatever. Then they kept coming because I was doing very glossy looks. I wasn't plucking my eyebrows. I still don't. I haven't touched the brows yet. And I just became frustrated with it because it kind of became like a bombarding of, oh, why don't she pluck her eyebrows? Why are her eyebrows so bushy? Why is it gloss on her eyelids? Da, 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 da. And I just thought, this is just really bizarre. And it kind of started to become really frustrating. But I moved through that and just kept kept going. But then I kind of found myself at this point of not really being 100% happy with the identity that I'd formed on Instagram because it had now become very narrow. It was basically like all the interactions that I was getting or the feedback or validation and, and comments were only when I would post like a glossy eye look or when I would use red or, you know, if I used glitter and whenever I try to venture outside of that or do any kind of a glam looks, if I felt like doing it, it wouldn't get the reception. And at the time, looking back, I was just really caught up in, in the likes and the external validation. And I realized now that uh, I don't need that. So I, I needed to get off Instagram for a while. I, I hadn't posted in almost a year up until this year that I started posting again because for my mental health and for me to actually be doing more work outside, so, you know, doing photo shoots and runways, I really needed to take a step back and I um, started up another Instagram where I was just posting whatever I wanted to post. And it felt so liberating because on there, I just thought, I'm not doing this for likes. I'm not doing it for comments. I'm not doing it for anything like that. I'm just doing it for myself and my own self-expression. And um, I also started modeling, doing plus size modeling and posting about that. And I felt like on there, I had the freedom to do that. So it was, I was at this kind of crossroads and only a couple months ago, or not even a month ago, I decided, you know what, I'm going to merge that now and I'm going to do it for me. And so I had to come back for that. So, you know, however my following goes or the interaction, um, that's okay because I feel like I'm being a little bit more genuine and I'm able to then come back to the creativity when I need to. So having gone through that shift and coming back to posting on your, your original makeup account, is it for you, is it about changing the metrics the metrics of success, what you view as successful? So it's not about the likes or the follows, it's about am I producing work that I love or am I still getting enjoyment out of posting? Is that kind of the mindset change for you now? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. It's about being on brand for myself. So having the ability to then, if I want to, I can post a photo of me modeling and talk about body positivity. I actually, I prefer the, the term fat liberation over body positivity, but that's for another day. But <laughs> if I, if I want to talk about what it means to be a Aboriginal woman or um, if I want to talk about fashion or anything kind of within within that, because like I've spoken about today, I really don't just do one thing. Not many people do, but, you know, being a multidisciplinary artist and 
with my identity and my experiences, I wanted to convey that online as opposed to being confined to just doing eye makeup looks. I wanted to be able to have the freedom to speak on things that are really dear to my heart and mainly make me happy. Tell me about the next product on your list. I've got to say clear lip gloss. So an ode to the glossy eye looks that I've, I've been doing for years. And also now I, I wear lip gloss every day. I just love like, you know, having a heavily lined lip with a clear gloss or an ombre lip with a gloss over the top. It's just my ultimate favorite look and I just love the 90s. So I just, I just have to wear a gloss. <laughs> um, very rarely will you see me with a matte on but this is the Revlon Super Lustrous V gloss and when I found out Megan the Stallion wore it I was so happy I just thought wow me and Megan wear the same lip gloss so I was super happy when I found that out but yeah it's it's gorgeous because it's not sticky but it's super glossy and thick but not in a runny way so it's it's my ultimate favorite love it I was going to ask you about that because I feel like lots of people love the look of gloss, but that stickiness puts a lot of people off. But this one is the perfect balance, you say? Yeah, definitely. Because one of the biggest things I used to get questions about was how the gloss doesn't like feel sticky on the eye. And mainly it wouldn't be an issue because it was, you know, at home experimentation and just like at home photo shoots, editorial. It's not like I would be wearing it all night. Uh, But I mean, one of the main reasons was because because of this. Yeah, it's not gloopy. It's not going to, like, run into your eyes. It's not super thick or sticky. It lays really nicely over eyeshadow or lipstick. And when you are creating your looks, whether that's for social or just for yourself on any given day, where do you kind of seek or find inspiration from for some of your looks? I've got to say Instagram. Nowadays, TikTok. Sometimes when, especially during lockdown right now with Melbourne stage four, you know, I'll wake up and I'll just won't want to get out of bed because I'm like, why would I, you know, it's, it's raining outside. I just want to stay cozy in the blankets and, you know, to spend all day in bed. And then I'll start scrolling on TikTok and I'll just see these girls putting on these amazing, you know, euphoria inspired makeup looks. And I'm like, yeah. I've got to get out of bed. I've got to put something on my face because it just, I, I just get this like boost of energy, like this, this adrenaline when I see looks that really inspire me. And I mean, speaking of Euphoria, after watching that show, I think I did about three makeup looks inspired by the show because I just love it. Doniella Davy is her name. So she's the, the genius, one of the geniuses behind um, those Diamante and Rhinestone and glitter makeup looks that are really trending at the moment and have been for a while because of the show. Yeah, TV shows, you know, some even Katie, you know, at, at her handle is um I think she a freak and other one of my makeup friends on Instagram. I see them post and I think, oh, I've got to get up and do something. So they they inspire me, they drive me to keep going. Yeah, so just anything bright and colorful really makes me want to <laughs> want to do it. I've seen all the makeup looks and I have the song from the soundtrack that's always on TikTok constantly <laughs> stuck in my head but I haven't seen this it's on my lockdown you definitely list. should watch it <laughs> it's heavy but if you're in the right mindset for it get ready to binge because you're not going to be able to put your laptop down I'm telling you it's amazing <laughs> sounds like a good plan I mean I'm probably preaching to the choir but have you watched Glow Up on Netflix yet I have yes I loved yeah. it I binged that yeah same <laughs> I did it with my mom yeah it was really good when it comes to your own makeup collection I know there's a bit of a difference because you probably have more of your your kit for work and kind of your own personal collection but within your own kind of selection that you're going to for your own makeup do you have is it a refined edit or do you like lots of different things to dip in and try or have you kind of created like your go-to staples that you love oh I definitely have my favorites and once I find my favorites I don't like to go outside of that so I would definitely say it's more of a refined selection two of my favorite concealers that I always have to be on set in like almost every color that they come in is a Too Faced Born This Way multi-sculpting concealer it is phenomenal 
it actually has coconut water in it. So it's very like fluid, but it's also thick and super, super concentrated. So it's very full coverage. It's, the color selection is pretty good as well. So I've actually found that, you know, if I'm working on a client that has like no blemishes, I'll just put a little bit under under the eye and then that's it. Or even if, even if they do um, have something they want to cover up, you can kind of almost use it as a foundation and just buff it into a really moisturized skin. So it's absolutely phenomenal. Love it. And then the other one is NARS, uh, the Soft Matte Complete Concealer. It's, wow, like if someone comes in with a pimple, if someone comes in with a scar, it covers. Like it's so thick and you just really buff it in and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and even under the eyes, it's not even drying. So these two I always, always have, a, have with me and they just, yeah, they never fail me. I absolutely love them. I could talk to you and bombard you with loads of specific makeup questions, but I've narrowed it down to mm-hmm. two in terms of <laughs> techniques that I wanted to pick your brain on. So the first was obviously we've talked a lot about like a really gorgeous glowing base. You talked about the Mecca Lightning Powder as part mm-hmm. of that, but kind of talk, talk us a bit through the steps or products that you rely on either on yourself or on clients to create a really beautiful base of makeup before you add color or anything else like that fix plus by mac absolutely the glycerin in it is amazing it just really just plumps up the skin and makes a really nice almost sticky base and i love sticky primers i don't know why anyone has anything against it it feels like it literally grips the foundation on it or whatever you put on top it really does so i love um spritzing that onto the skin and patting it in so using it as a moisturizer and it was invented for runway so it's kind of you know models are getting the makeup taken off and then put on and so instead of doing a whole skincare routine which takes ages you know in between the the looks they've got to be fast paced spritz it all over push it in and you're ready to go so I always love doing that and putting on a nice um moisturizer on, on on the skin so that just stops any dry patches before the foundation. And I'm not I'm not really big on primers. I just like a moisturizer and the Fix Plus. So all about hydration, all skin types, even oily, because with oily skin, I feel like a lot of people tend to just want to dry it out. But what that does is actually creates more oil because your skin is so dehydrated. So I like to do that. And then I like to get a um, usually like a nice like powder brush, a synthetic powder brush to buff in the foundation. So starting at the center working out and and using a, a on myself I like to use a, a blender um the microfiber one actually which is my fave because it just gives you like a really flawless um finish but on clients I like to buff in with a nice kind of loose um powder brush so that looks really seamless and not not too um heavy to begin with and then my other technical question was around your incredible eyeshadow blending because obviously a lot of your looks combine multiple colors and even I suppose if you're just using one color you still obviously want it blended yeah. in. So for be- beginners who want a little bit of that kind of uh, professional finish when they're doing the eyeshadow, what is a tip or a product or something that you would recommend trying? A good fluffy blending brush so I'm not going to even suggest a brand because it almost I think all of the technique it's it's in the wrist and where you place your hand so uh, you don't want to be firmly gripping it and you don't want to be holding it close to the bristles you want to be holding it as close away from the bristles as possible so at the end of the actual makeup brush and you just loosen up your wrist and you just like go in circular motions and windshield wiper motions and once you find your technique, then the rest will be really easy. So I feel like a lot of it is definitely down to the way that you hold the brush, the way that you apply it, as opposed to the actual brush itself. But definitely you want a loose, fluffy brush um, and then a more dense, dense but still fluffy brush to kind of go into the crease underneath that. And that's where you'll want to hold the hold it a little bit tighter but not still not right where the bristles are because that's something that I see all the time. People just like go in and, and also even just the way that you look at your eye, you want the mirror underneath and then you want a mirror from the distance as well so you can see up close and distance so you can kind of see how the blending's going. 
We've just got a few final products on your list of your chosen eight products. So tell me about the next one. Yes. So have to say the Laura Mercier translucent powder and I just love it. It it honestly, and because it's the, the translucent one as well, it generally works on every skin shade and and type as well I've, I've found. And I, I'm the type of person who I, I haven't moved away from baking. Like, you know, I, I'm still there, especially because I love smoky eyes. And just as we're talking about, um, it's my favorite way to catch the smoky eye and, and some, some clients as well for all the freelancers out there. And also thinking about Rihanna. So Rihanna's makeup artist, um, says that uh, Rihanna likes the whole base on before the eye because she likes to see how it all looks together. So if you've got someone like that, or if you or yourself are like that, then the best thing to do is to bake under your eyes so it can catch all that fallout so that sweep it away and you've got your whole base on already. So you're not having to do your eyes before your foundation. And it just looks amazing and flawless (laughs) and it's interesting because I think a lot of people can get a bit nervous around powder based on what powders used to kind of be like with products but you would say don't be afraid of the powder if it's the Laura Messier I love it and you know what I'm gonna say another one as well but the Hourglass Mineral Veil powder is beautiful as well that one for anyone with mature skin that one is the one to go for because it's really beautiful and reflective under the eye so yeah don't be afraid of powders I really I really love them (laughs) the last few months as well as a number of things but keeping it specific in beauty there's been a lot of conversations and and hopefully a bit of a real shift in conversations about representation and diversity with brands I want to say no longer but I think it's more about not being able to get away Mm. with it as much as previously with virtue signaling or surface level changes or tokenism Mm. as you witnessing and also being part of these important conversation what are your hopes or concerns with what kind of happens from these conversations that turns into actions Definitely. I think my first thing that I'll talk about is my concern is that right now, I just want to talk about Australia in particular, more brands or magazines or any kind of publication, they're now suddenly wanting to get Aboriginal voices and other people of colour's voices. And my concern is that that will die off, that, you know, while, while there's so much heat on these brands to be more inclusive that they'll, like you said, the virtue signaling, they'll post, they'll, you know, be inclusive, quotation marks. But then as soon as the, the heat dies down a little bit, as it does on social media, unfortunately, just to be realistic, they will go back to the way that they were before. So it's almost like a little bit of like, oh, like, shut up, we've already done that before. And that's my concern. I want to remain hopeful and hope that there's genuinely implementation of change because, yes, it's it's great and cool to, you know, have faces in the magazines or have faces um, to represent a brand or a store, but will there actually be a continuation of, you know, th- this kind of inclusion? And even the term inclusion is problematic because it's like, well, who's the person head of the head of the place to include and to bring people in, you know. So I want to see more self-determination and for people of colour to have, to be in charge of our own destinies and to be in charge of our own representation and to have a really broad range of representation as well because oftentimes when we are brought in it's tokenistic and it's one-dimensional, especially for First Nations people. Like we come in so many different shades and so many different stories and different opinions and it's hard when there's this lens that perpetuates stereotypes so it's like oh this is this is who Aboriginal people are that's it that's what they look like that's what they sound like that's that's it whereas you know you've got so much representation of of whiteness really and we're like the other so my dream which may not be realistic but my dream is to have a media representation that allows for just everything about us to be represented 
in a really fair way and for there to be equity and, you know, to turn on the TV and see, you know, Aboriginal people and other people of colour and, you know, not just white people and then one one token. I do have hope for that. And then with magazines as well for the covers, you know, when you go to the to the magazine rack, you know, not just to see, you know, white Aussie um, singers or models, to see an array of blackness and, and, and brown people and just all, all different types of people, um, people with disabilities, people, you know, who are gender fluid, everything, um, and not just what is palatable either. And I think that's a really important point as well because it's like we may be talking about it more now, but these are not new issues. These are not new issues. These are not new conversations. It's only now that those of us who are privileged enough to have always seen Mm. ourselves represented in mass media are paying more attention too. Yeah. So, you know, when you you think about big brands who are promising these changes now, well, these have always been problems. Mm. These have always been things that have been raised. So, like you said, uh, hopefully this really is a, a turning tide for genuine change, yeah. and it's up to us to it's up to us to make make that yeah. it is. Yeah, definitely. And being in you know my community and being a proud Aboriginal woman, and also being you know a, a chunky girl, you know, I I just hope for there to be continuation of um I don't want to say inclusion because I was just saying how problematic that is, but to be a for there to be balance, for there to be representation, for there to be more room for our dark skin um, sisters and brothers and people in our community and for there to be um, representation of our, um, you know, of, of fatness and and destigmatization of that too and, and all different skin types, you know, and, and um, less, less stigma on um, even acne or stretch marks and eczema and, you know, just just promoting realness of, of what the, the real life um, experience actually is. And thank you for that point on the problematic nature of inclusion as well. I think that's probably something that a lot of us are, are guilty of, tr- of, of trying. Again, it's that thing of trying to be inclusive by saying yeah. inclusive, but it only perpetuates a difference. Yeah, definitely. But maybe it's something about, it's just about reflection because it's just reflecting what society the great diversity of people that make up society to begin with. It's not about putting anything up that doesn't already exist. It's about, like you said, we've been talking about being able to, everyone being able to see Mm. themselves reflected. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have lost count of (laughs) how many products we've spoken about. I think there there might only be one or two left. So tell me about one of the ones that we've got left from your list. Eyebrows. The Hourglass Arch Brow Volumizing Fiber Gel. Long, long title. It is so beautiful. It actually almost has, it actually has fibers in it. So it emulates brow hair. So anyone that um, doesn't have like thick brows or just like has sparse areas, it's really nice to go into. And it's got a really tiny applicator. So it's really good to just like get into those hairs and coat them. And I recommend kind of brushing back and forth and then upwards. So if you're really looking for like a fluffy brow product and you want that look, then this one's really good and it's so, it's so easy. Like it takes like a minute to do. So I love this one. We have obviously talked about many things from a kind of beauty lens today, but outside of, I suppose, art more broadly and, and makeup, what are some of your other passions or loves? What are you really passionate about? What else will we find you doing? I'm super passionate about representation of body diversity and you'll definitely see me modeling a little bit more as I was starting to really do a lot more before lockdown. So in the future, I'm being hopeful (laughs) that I will be able to go right back into it and especially working with Aboriginal designers. So that's something I'm super passionate about. And I'd done my first runway, I think, year and a half ago and since then I'd done about four more and I'd done um I think three last fashion week so that was so nerve-wracking but something that I'm so proud of and I love doing and so, for some of them I got to do my own makeup so I thought wow this is amazing like this is just bridging 
all of my passions together and, you know, art, fashion, modeling, you know, promoting size diversity and makeup. So definitely a lot more of that. And I also just started a little, well, I can't say too much, but it's a, it's a brand with my cousin, which will be having clothing apparel. So yeah, venturing more into fashion. Very exciting. And I know you've said you can't say too much for people who do want to be in the place where they'll get to know about things <laughs> when you can say, is there anywhere in particular they can follow or sign up to to be? Yeah. I've got an Instagram called Peppany and Louise. So that's P-E-P-E-N-Y and Louise. So L-O-U-I-S-E. So that's on Instagram. Very exciting. So it will be a clothing brand that will be embracing our heritage and our culture as um, Kauri women. So it's very exciting. (laughs) Very exciting. Now, I think we have reached the final product on your list. So tell me about what that final one is. Yeah. Okay. So final product is the Pears soap. So it's a clear soap and I spritz some water onto it. I use a spoolie and that's what I use to get the ultimate fluffy brows so I talked about brows a bit today but that that is the ultimate look and I absolutely love it I used to use a glue stick but I've seen the light now and this does a lot less damage to my eyebrows I just love making my eyebrows super fluffy my eyebrow hairs are very long but they kind of sit flat so I love doing that to just get like the maximum volume out of them and it's great for like editorial looks, but also just glam looks in general. And the brow lamination trend is super, it's super on right now. So anyone that wants that look, you can definitely achieve with the, the pears. So I would definitely recommend it. Love it. Who is someone who has really shaped or inspired you either personally or professionally? I have to say my mom, because just kind of going back to using her MAC lipstick when I was a kid and also her telling me to go on Instagram and giving me that vision and and that push that I needed her for sure. And she's just always been so encouraging of everything I do and has always told me from a very young age, as well as my grandmother, she always told me, you don't have to choose what you want to do. And she she would always tell me, don't let grown-ups ask you what you want to do when you're older. It doesn't always have to be one thing. It can constantly be evolving and you can you can allow yourself to express yourself in any way that you want to. And because of that, that's what gave me the encouragement that I needed to get into makeup, into art, visual art as well. So I'm definitely going to say her. I love it. You have talked us through eight key products that you love or have a special memory for you, as well as some other great recommendations. The way that we finish off Beauty Island is I make you make the impossible choice, which is if I'm sending you off to Beauty Island, you've got all your products, but a giant wave comes in and starts taking them out to sea and you only have time to rescue one, which one is the one that you're going to pick to save to have with you on Beauty Island? It can be practical if you'd like it to, or it can just be for the for the enjoyment it gives you or for the memories it has. There's no wrong answer, mm. but which one will you choose? I'm going to say lashes. I love lashes. <laughs> Ideally, you know, just thinking of being on an island, maybe, you know, permanent lash extensions that never come out <laughs> or a really good pair of strip lashes that magically never fall out or damage my eyelashes. Because they just make me feel amazing. You know, I, I'm just feeling a bit tired. I pop them on. I'm like, wow, who is she? I feel like a brand new <laughs> woman. I love it. So it has to be lashes. Rosie, thank you so much for your time today. It has been an absolute privilege and delight to kind of work through your beauty journey with you. Hear so many great stories, important messages, and obviously some great product and technique recommendations too. So thank you so Thanks much so for your much time. Thanks so much for me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the brilliant Rosie Kalina. You can find where to follow her, read the Vogue piece, sign up to hear about her exciting new venture and of course a full list of all the products she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, 
You can find me on Instagram at Brittany Beauty BTS. That's my personal beauty account where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture or the podcast account, which is at Beauty Island Podcast. You can also sign up to my regular beauty newsletter. It's a beauty. It is free and you will get my regular or fortnightly beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you. And until next time, Bye-bye.